I think what's happened over the last 30 days between the two of us and our staffs is what we came here in the Senate to do. Uh, we've laughed, we have debated, and we've gotten to the five-yard line. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Today is Friday, March 12th, and that was Bob Corker, Republican senator from Tennessee. You heard at the top, he was waxing nostalgic about all the bipartisan harmony on the Senate Banking Committee. Except, of course, he was waxing nostalgic about bipartisan harmony during a press conference in which he was announcing the breakdown of bipartisanship. <laughs> although, although he says it is not a breakdown, he says they just hit the pause button. That famous Senate pause button. <laughs> exactly. Chris Dodd, the Democratic chairman of of the banking committee and the one who hit the pause button says it won't be on pause for long. He promises he's going to come out with a version of regulatory reform legislation on Monday. Woohoo! And so we thought anyway, this would be a good time to revisit the whole question of the reform of the financial system. But first, Alex, release the planet money indicator. <laughs> It is $193 million. That is the amount of money the new Clash of the Titans movie will make in its first four weeks, opening in the U.S. for the U.S. box office. That's what the market thinks anyway. What market, you ask? Well, the Hollywood Stock Exchange. Because, as everyone knows, Clash of the Titans has not come out yet. comes out on April 2nd although I already have my tickets and my Kraken costume. <laughs> but there is a futures exchange for Hollywood movies, and right now that exchange is just for fun. It's online, and frankly, it looks about as confusing as a real futures market. But soon, very soon, investors will be able to buy and sell derivatives on box office performance. That's right. Again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. Two companies, they say they are creating real markets for people to place bets on the performance of Hollywood movies. That's just what we need. More derivatives. And a perfect segue to our topic today, regulation of dangerous financial markets. <laughs> so as you all know, we at Planet Money have been following the story of how the government is trying to rewrite the rules of the nation's financial system, how they're going to try and change the laws to make sure that really scary time we just lived through doesn't ever happen again. So for those few of you who haven't been watching this closely on C-SPAN, we thought we'd do a quick update. What does the House bill look like? Just a reminder, that bill already passed. And what are the issues facing the legislation uh, in the Senate and in general. So a lot of the action is around this one thing you've probably heard of already, the CFPA, the Consumer Financial Protection Agency. That's an agency that a lot of consumer advocates, most notably Elizabeth Warren, have been championing. And uh, her most colorful supporting argument, Alex, the one I like, is uh, hinges on a toaster, as in we have agencies that keep people from selling you toasters that blow up, but we have no agency to protect you from a mortgage that blows up. This has been getting a lot of attention from people far from Wall Street. The former Saturday Night Live guys, all those guys who used to impersonate presidents, are in this video advocating for the CFPA. It's on this website, Funny or Die, and it was funded by a group in favor of the CFPA. And we'll play a clip of it here. In it, President Obama is having a dream, and all the former presidents come to visit him. How'd you two get in here? The security code is still one, two, three, four from when I was pres. Only took me five times to remember it. We heard you were tossing and turning over whether to push for federal regulations, so we're here to give you some advice. Yeah, well, he said. You two are the ones who stripped out all the regulations. Why would I want advice from you? Dude, it was the 90s. People did all kinds of crazy things. Yeah, I'm still waiting for a bunch of e-toys that never showed up. Besides, when I put the Iraq war on my credit card, I never dreamed I'd be paying 28% 
in interest rates. It's astronomical. All right. So the idea of the CFPA that this uh, video is advocating for is that it would be an agency that would have jurisdiction over every type of consumer loan that's out there, be it a mortgage, a student loan, a car loan, credit cards, payday lenders, whatever. Anytime anyone lends consumers money lends you and me money, this agency, the CFPA, would be there looking at the paperwork, making sure it was clear and didn't contain any hidden traps or fine print. But if you actually go through the House bill, the section that deals with the CFPA, it's long, (laughs) very long. And one reason it's so long is there are a lot of exemptions in it. (laughs) Special interest groups have been lobbying saying, look, I do make loans to consumers, but I wasn't the problem. And I already have six regulators. I don't need the CFPA on top of all that. So we talked to one of our favorite finance geeks about this, Mike Konzel. He's a former financial engineer. I love that term. One of those math guys that used to come up with complicated models for financial firms. He now writes a blog called Rorty Bomb, and he has a new job as a research fellow with the Roosevelt Institute. It's a liberal think tank located here in New York. He specializes in writing about financial reform matters, and he's been watching the developments closely, and he talked to us about some of those exemptions in the House bill. Auto loans are exempted. Mm-hmm. Auto loans are actually a pretty shady industry when you look at them. There's a lot of kickbacks. It's not very. It's not very transparent. So, what was the possible justification for that? The congressman who introduced the exemption owns a bunch of auto, uh, <laughs> a bunch of auto dealerships in California. <laughs> like it, it, it was really one of those kinds of things where it's you know clearly a, a kickback, and you know it's. At this point, it's, it doesn't become about principles. It becomes about horse trading in a lot of ways we're going to see in the Senate. So it's, you know, people who are thinking about the principles of financial regulation kind of have to shrug and say, well, you know, this, it is what it is. I can't. Right. If, if that's what's motivating you here, I can't appeal to your better reason very easily. So we needed to check this. Yes, how, exactly. How does an exemption like that make it into the legislation? Uh, he didn't know who put it there. Like, is there some good reason it's there? So we called two key lawmakers, one Democrat and one Republican, Representative Brad Miller, Democrat from North Carolina, Representative John Campbell, Republican from California, both of them on the House Financial Services Committee. We've been checking in with them periodically for the last year to chart the progress of financial reform. And I called Republican John Campbell this week, and he says, yeah, there were a lot of lobbyists. Once the legislation came down, I can tell you that every special interest on the planet uh, came out, because when it became clear that the CFPA was going to remain in the bill, then everybody on earth decided that their best chance was to try and get exempted. Well, that brings up a very interesting point. Like, and this literally happened when, as we were about to call you, because we were, we were talking to another person, sort of a, one of the... Um, a guy that we like who's really smart about these financial matters, and he was sort of like giving us a quick scorecard of what what was happening in the with with the legislation. And he said, and he was talking about the CFPA, and he said, yeah, and there's some sort of things that are, you know, that are questionable about it. And he said, for example, um, you know, one of the one of the lending areas that's going to be exempted because there was a loophole put into it is in the area of car loans. And he's like, there's a lot of shady stuff that goes on in car loans. And we're like, who did that? And he said, I don't know. And then we were about to call you. And then my producer found out it was you. <laughs> you put in that exemption. Right. Well, although, <laughs> you're the special interest that we're talking about. Well, sure. Yeah. But let me just clarify that. Yeah, uh, uh, that's right. <laughs> and and they came out of the woodwork. I mean, I mean, everybody did on that. Can you describe the, the that process of coming out of the woodwork once this thing is in the bill, what happens to your office? People just like, do people descend on you? What does that feel like? Oh, yeah. Everybody descends with, here's what 
we we don't like. Here's what we'd like to add. Here's what we'd like to remove. Here's like we'd like you know whatever whatever whatever. So so. And how do you make a decision? Um, I look at them and determine whether I agree with them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I know that that uh, maybe that seems uh, um, too logical, but 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 that's what I do. Is is uh, people come in with that, and and I and and there are some who came in and they'd say we want, and I'd say no, I don't. No, I don't agree with that. I, I, I don't think we ought to do that. Or others that, um, that that come in and they'd say that, and I'd say, yeah, that that makes sense. That's logical. Okay, all right, uh-huh. I'll, I'll I'll carry that for you, and and then that's that's the way it works. But but let me clarify: it, uh, it, the legislation still covered car loans. Uh, it just covers whoever loans the money. So whoever told you that the way the legislation came out of the House that it exempts car loans, that's not true. What it does is it exempts dealers from having to do um, uh, filings with the CFPA and so forth unless they actually are loaning the money. I see. So the so the so if it's but if it's GMAC financing, they have to they have to file with the CFPA, but the car loans. Well, if car dealer loans the money, they're covered. Uh, if they don't loan the money, then the entity who loans the money is covered. Now, obviously, one of the things that was noted in the in the in the press articles about about you putting through that exemption is that you you yourself own a, a number of car dealerships. Um, how much? I mean, that obviously has to play a role, right? Yeah, I don't own. Here's what played a role: I don't own any car dealerships anymore. They've got that wrong. I own real estate in which in which. Uh, um, a couple of my tenants are car dealers, but uh, where where it played a role is I was in the business for 25 years and I understood it, and and so uh, I understood the issue that they that they um, that they came to me with, and I actually did modify it though. There are some things in there that I didn't agree with, and so we uh, 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 so I didn't I didn't present it. Um, exactly the way, frankly, even the car dealers would have liked it. Uh, but um, but the reason I was involved is because I I just I understand that business. I understand that issue, and and was able to uh, um, show my colleagues, both Republicans and Democrats, because it needed to be a bipartisan vote to pass. Uh, that that you know the loan will be covered by whoever makes the loan, but don't cover somebody who's simply. Uh, um, connecting the borrower and the and the uh, and the entity making the loan. So, Alex, I, I have a copy of the bill here, and on uh, page nine hundred twenty-five, line twenty, sub article K, there it is: exclusion for auto dealers. It does seem to be pretty much what Campbell laid out. Dealers are exempted unless they quote operate a line of business that involves the extension of retail credit or retail leases involving motor vehicles, though then there's a bunch of other legal language I don't know what to make of. When I talked to Democrat Brad Miller, he said he wants as few exemptions in this CFPA bill as possible. And he sees it differently than John Campbell, the Republican. He says there is a role here for government. He says, listen, if you explain something to someone in plain English and they clearly wouldn't do it, but if you put it in 160 pages of super confusing legal mumbo jumbo and they do do it, that's a sign that there's a problem, and that's a reason for the government to intervene. And he says he's also had a lot of lobbyists visiting him from both sides, people in favor of the CFPA, people trying to get exemptions from it. He says they'd come and they'd give their pitch to him, and then he'd hear almost the exact same words coming out of the mouths of some of his colleagues during floor debates. That afternoon, <laughs> within hours, within uh, sometimes within minutes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember anything in particular? Uh, well, the, the whole debate about... Uh, subprime lending, predatory mortgage lending, was uh, we know you mean well, 
but um, if you pass these legis- this legislation, we won't be able to make these loans or making the dream of home ownership possible for uh, all, all of these families, and you'll just end up hurting the people you're trying to help. And Republicans would say almost word for word the same thing. We have this high, we have the highest home ownership rate. Uh, if you uh, pass legislation to end some of these lending practices that make it possible, uh, families won't have the home, the dream of home ownership available to them. It was, um, it was almost word for word. Wow. Um, and and I mean, do, do you is, do you have sympathy to that argument? Oh, sure. I mean, the, the stupid regulation is certainly possible. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a, I mean, what I've heard from that industry is to um, is to label everything uh, as being kind of soft in the head, well-meaning, but ill-informed. Alex, that's some good lobbying when you get uh, people repeating your uh, talking points exactly. I and mean, to be fair, it is happening on both sides of the aisle. But I think the issue here is one person's lobbying is another person's principled argument. Like, for example, John Campbell, the Republican we talked to, he was happy to carve out an exemption in the CFPA because he was against the CFPA from the very beginning. He thinks it's an unnecessary bureaucracy. And more importantly, this issue that it addresses, you know, unfair payday lending, confusing loan documents, shady auto dealers, that wasn't at the heart of the crisis. This didn't cause the problem. So why, uh, you know, treat treat your arm when your leg is broken? Now, there are certainly some people who would argue that confusing subprime loan documents did have something to do with the crisis. But even Mike Konzel, who supports the CFPA, the, our financial geek who we've been talking to, says he thinks it's not as important as two other things in the bill, derivative regulation and resolution authority. So do you want to take resolution authority and I'll take derivatives? I was hoping to take derivatives, but okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, resolution authority. That is basically the idea that let's say one of these too big to fail things does fail. Let's figure out a way so they can crumble in a nice orderly kind of collapse. It doesn't drag everything around them down with them. So one idea is just not to let these firms get so big in the first place. Another is to have a kind of emergency plan in place behind glass, you know, I think like like nuclear reactors, they always have a red binder on the on the bookshelf in the control room. So if they get in trouble, you can like put the control rods in and stop a meltdown. So maybe you would have some quick way for a firm to go through bankruptcy if it gets in trouble. So those are some of the ideas associated with uh, with some form of resolution authority. All right, so that's resolution authority, and basically the idea is to avoid what happened with Lehman Brothers when Lehman Brothers right. failed, brought everybody down. Um, now derivatives, um, basically this is this addresses what happened at AIG. So there are these financial pro- Products called derivatives, and basically what it is is I pay you a little bit now, and if something weird or unexpected happens, you pay me a lot later. <laughs> That's the general principle of it, and it can get people into problems. If you take a lot of my money right now, but then the thing happens, you don't have enough to pay me the pay, pay me back. You can go bankrupt, and that's basically what happened at AIG. So, how do you fix that? The problem with derivatives is that it's basically two guys on the phone. I call you, and you say, "I say, will you sell me this this derivative?" And you say yes. And so, what uh, one idea is to how to make them safer is to put them on an exchange, make it public, so that instead of just calling a person behind a desk somewhere and having it be this private over the counter OTC trade, it would be a public trade on an exchange. You would see the prices publicly listed, that sort of thing. And for our finance geek, Mike Konzel, both derivatives and resolution authority are equally important to get right because they're interconnected. They're intertwined. If we don't have derivatives reform, resolution authority is essentially meaningless, regardless if it's resolution authority or bankruptcy. Um, The derivatives make the complexity of our largest institutions so complex 
that it is very difficult to understand what they're doing. So to me, derivatives reform is resolution authority reform. Um, I, I don't think you can separate them. They they strengthen or weaken each other in such a powerful way that it's very difficult for me to think without both of them moving, you have any real movement. And Mike Conzo was pretty disappointed with the House bill, uh, especially when it comes to derivatives. He says there are a lot of loopholes which could end up allowing a lot of derivatives to continue being traded the way they are now over the phone without transparency. And so when I talked to Congressman Brad Miller, the Democrat from North Carolina, I asked him what happened with the derivatives legislation in the House version. And he basically told me, sort of sighed and said, yeah, that part of the House bill, it's pretty weak. Those who favor stronger legislation just did not have the votes in committee or on the floor. And what uh, is that about? Do you think is it, is, it, is, it beca- is it because the derivatives lobby is so huge or is it because people just don't understand it? Well, it's hard to go home to your district and, and say, I really think major swap participants should have to buy and sell derivatives on an exchange, not uh, over the counter. Um, I haven't tried saying that to an audience in my district, but I'm I'm sure if I did, I would not see heads nodding, which is always reassuring to me. I would just see very puzzled looks. Right. Uh, So the only people who really understood it were against it. Uh, And um, within the committee, anyone who wanted to water down the bill started with every Republican vote, and that meant you didn't have to go get that many Democratic votes. And the same thing was true on the floor. They started with every Republican vote, and they didn't need that many Democratic votes. Again, it was an issue that that uh, folks back home were just not going to have their minds around, uh, unlike, I think, consumer protection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the, the advocates for it um, have a lot of economic and political power. It's really sort of depressing, though. I mean, do you think that, do you think that there is, in terms of what caused this global crisis? I mean, derivatives are, are are probably closer to the top of the list than than say something like payday lending, which I'm not saying I'm not talking about the relative merits of what's important or what's not, but I, but in terms of what caused our most recent crisis, it seems like well, it, derivatives is a, is a, is a more important problem to attack. Well, it it is. It it led to um, the interconnection. I mean, it's right, probably exactly. true that the that the uh, systemically important firms are not so much too big to fail, but too interconnected to fail. That certainly, I mean, Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers were probably not really all that big on the scale of things, but they were really interconnected. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, you know, yes, I would like there to be stronger regulation. I would like the great, great bulk to be traded on exchanges, uh, but we just got rolled on that. We, we simply, uh, those who were favoring stronger le- uh, legislation simply did not have the votes on, on that issue. So there you have it, politicians saying, we wanted this thing to pass, but it's too complicated to explain to anyone, and we got rolled on it. <laughs> right. It's, it's pretty rare to hear somebody say that. And he did say that there were a couple things in the bill that did that will help, but overall he was pretty disappointed. And also, unusual to hear, Republican John Campbell saying, yeah, I put in that exemption at the request of a special interest, me. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's why I like these guys. I know, me too. Um, so, well, now you know what to look for in the upcoming legislation coming out of the Senate. Will the CFPA be in or out? Will it be independent or housed within another agency? Will derivatives be put on exchanges? And will the Kraken be released? <laughs> <laughs> Don't release the Kraken. <laughs> I will be revealed soon. All right. Um, Chris Dodd says, actually, he's going to uh, reveal the Senate bill on Monday. We will see. I think that wraps it up for us today. Our new colleague, Jacob, has a great post on the blog with much more on derivatives and what's at stake there. Also, we have now posted all the toxic asset stuff. Remember, we bought a, we bought our very own toxic asset 
pet. We now have a website with a video about the pet. It's very cute. Monster. The pet is very cute. There's an avatar of Hana and me in it. The avatar of me has more hair than I actually do, but otherwise looks exactly like me. <laughs> we have a, a map showing where all the mortgages are. You can watch our toxic asset crumble as you as time steps forward from 2005 to the present. We're really psyched about it. You can find all that stuff about our toxic asset at npr.org slash toxic. Let us know what you think. You can send us email at planetmoney at npr.org. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thanks for listening. Yeah.